Welcome to the latest in the Bova News podcast series. Today, we're putting our focus on a topic that consumers demand, but few can define, and that's sustainability. The world's population continues to grow as the land available for food production shrinks, meaning farmers are looked upon to produce more from less. Add that to pressures to meet climate change demands, and sustainability is something that impacts us all. Today, we're going to focus on the beef industry to better understand how that industry is meeting sustainability challenges. Visiting with me today is Mary Thomas Hart. She's an environmental counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association in Washington, D.C. She has a unique opportunity to advocate for cattle producers uh, on the Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, and voluntary conservation issues. Uh, Hart graduated from Berry College in 2014 before receiving a Master of Science in Environmental Management and Juris Doctorate from Stanford University in 2017. Welcome today, Mary Thomas. Thanks so much for having me on, Kim. So let's just start off right away talking about how there's been a lot of great press recently. There was a recent study that showed that U.S. beef production is the most sustainable in the world. Uh, what are some of the metrics that help provide this point? Sure. Yeah, we were really excited to see this study released at the beginning of March, which was a comparison of some different countries' beef industry life cycle assessments. Um, so life cycle assessments, just, just briefly, um, kind of takes a 30,000 foot view at an entire supply chain. So it looks at the environmental impact of uh, a pound of beef from the time it's a calf in the pasture to you know going through the feed yard all the way through processing and to the retail sector. Um, so this study did a comparison of life cycle assessments in a number of different countries and found that U.S. beef production is, like you said, the most sustainable in the world. Um, our carbon footprint per pound of beef is lower than these other countries, which was a great result. And we were really happy to see that. Now, the study says that America's cattle producers between the 1960s and 2018 reduced the carbon footprint of the industry by 40% while producing 66% more beef. What are some of the factors that have enabled cattle producers in the U.S. to make this progress? I think there are three things that, that we could really point to um, when we talk about changes that we've made in the last, you know, 50 years or 60 years to, to get to this point. Um, the first is definitely our genetics. The herd genetics in the United States are some of the best in the world. And our producers have done a great job of very consciously um, breeding cattle so that they're maximally efficient so so that their efficiency is maximized um, so you know using the best traits from different breeds and, and breeding them together so that we get cattle that are more resilient um, and grow more efficiently I think it's also important to talk about the increased use of technology um, that's so important in in our beef industry um, and specifically when we talk about the feed sector, if, if we're discussing carbon emissions, the increased use of feed additives in the feeding segment is so important when we talk about our environmental impact. One of the things that this study uh, pretty specifically discussed was the fact that the United States has come pretty close to maximizing its environmental efficiency because about 97% of our cattle herd go through a feed yard 
before processing. Um, and they talked about the increased efficiency when you get to the feed yard versus pasture finished cattle. Um, I think, you know, when we talk about pasture finished cattle and grazing cattle, another thing that beef producers have done in the United States is increasingly um, more effectively manage their grazing. So I think we've come to realize that when you're raising cattle, you're raising grass just as much as you're raising cattle. And the healthier your soil is and the healthier your grasses are, the better your cattle are going to perform. Um, and so the more producers that adopt that kind of mindset, the more efficient we get. That is a great point. Uh, you started to touch on this a little bit as far as uh, carbon, but greenhouse gases, they are often targeted as an important metric of sustainability. Now, critics say that beef cattle production is a significant contributor of greenhouse gas emissions uh, with a negative impact on climate change. So what is the real story? Where is the reality? Where does the beef industry stand on the issue? Sure. So beef cattle and beef cattle production, I think, has gotten a pretty bad rap in recent years. And a lot of that comes from international data, um, name, namely the United Nations. Um, a report from the IPCC quite a few years ago said that livestock production accounted for anywhere from 14 to 15 percent of global greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and, you know, there are some regions around the world where, where livestock production might be a significant contributor, but because of all the things I've mentioned, you know, technology, genetics, improved grazing management, the United States simply isn't in that situation. Uh, direct emissions from beef production in the United States account for only 2% of the country's overall greenhouse gas emissions. And, and really, I just think that uh, it's attributed to beef cattle producers across the nation who have put in the work to get to that point. Um, but then, you know, to stack on top of all of the good work that we've done, the United States is kind of a, a a geography that's designed for ruminant grazing, right? We have natural grasslands um, that support ruminant grazing. So we can have cattle without having to actively deforest. So we're able to sustain our natural forest while grazing cattle and raising crops. Um, our large landmass that you know has a significant variation of landscapes is definitely designed for ruminant grazing. Yes, the power of the ruminant animal, right. able to take all that cellulose material that we can't digest and turn it into food that we can. Certainly an important point. What can we do better to get that message out? Because I hear the message that our beef producers in the U.S. are sustainable. You obviously know this message. You're familiar with all the metrics that have been used, yet we still continue to hear this rhetoric about it. What can we be doing better to get the message out? I think it's so important to to highlight the good work that we do. You know, so many times I think, uh, you know, farmers and ranchers are so good at doing their jobs, um, but they're incredibly humble. They they go out, they do their job, they come home, and and that's it. That's that's kind of the the sum of how they spend their day. But you know, we maybe don't talk about the good work that we do enough. And so that's kind of been one of my missions when I got to NCBA was, you know, finding producers who wanted to talk about the good work that they do and, and the good practices that they implement. You know, I say a lot of times on Capitol Hill, we talk a lot about conservation practices, but for so many cattle producers throughout the country, 
it's not a conservation practice. It's just a practice because their, their family has been implementing that practice for generations. And it's just, it's a common practice to them. Um, but for the consumer that might not know about the value of, of cover, cover crops or rotational grazing or the use of feed additives, those are all things that are considered conservation practices in the broader scope. And so, you know, talking about those practices uh, publicly, I think it is really important. And talking about the fact that, you know, we, we don't deforest in order to graze cattle. I think that, you know, cattle production gets a bad rap in that sense. We, in the United States, we don't have to do that. Um, so that combined with the good practices that we implement, I think, you know, can really help shift the narrative. And it has. Um, I think, you know, it's worth pointing out that in the last couple of years, we've definitely seen a shift in the United States. When we talk about agriculture and climate, uh, policymakers see the potential that agriculture can the potential that agriculture holds to be a climate solution, right? Not a significant contributor to climate change, but a prime example of an industry that can hold a lot of carbon, that can sequester a lot of carbon if they have the freedom and the resources to do so effectively. Yes, that's a, also a great point. And how do we get there through collaboration versus regulation? What do you see? I think, you know, just, my one-liner is is that the carrot is always more effective than the stick. You know, um, if you have voluntary incentive-based programs that, again, give farmers the resources and the freedom to implement practices effectively on their operations, you're going to get a much more significant benefit than regulatory burden, right? So there, Congress has stated for the last 10 years through its appropriations package, the EPA can't regulate the biological processes of livestock under the Clean Air Act. So, you know, that's regulating cow burps <laughs> through the Clean Air Act. Congress has, has acknowledged again and again that the EPA can't do that. Um, I think, you know, that goes a long way to, for Congress to acknowledge that that cattle production and agricultural production doesn't need to be regulated. It needs to be given the tools to maximize its potential. Um, I think it's also important to note that, you know, at the end of the day, the agricultural industry is made up of a ton of small businesses that are spread all over the country. And the more regulation that comes out of Washington, D.C. or our state houses, the, the more those small businesses are going to suffer. And if we really want to support small businesses and the, the advancement of small agricultural operations, providing voluntary incentives is going to be much more effective than placing on yet another regulatory burden. Let's shift a little bit to sustainability. Now, every food group has a different perception of consumer demand for sustainability. Uh, I've read a lot of different uh, consumer surveys where they look at sustainability and it typically shakes out that at least seven out of 10 consumers say that sustainability is important, even though we know that they can't always be clearly defined. Everyone has this different definition for what sustainability means. So with respect to beef cattle production, what is the real definition of sustainability? So, you know, I think you're exactly right. Every industry, every segment of the agricultural industry has its own approach and definition of sustainability. But go to the go to the dictionary first, right? And the definition of sustainability is the ability to be maintained at a certain rate. So, you know, 
when we talk about the U.S. beef industry, we're incredibly sustainable. You know, when you go to a ranch that's in its sixth or seventh generation, in my mind, that's sustainability. Um, but we can step back and look at it from a policy perspective. And I think when you do that, there are three pillars to the sustainability conversation. And without all three of those pillars, an operation or an industry isn't going to be sustainable. So we have to look at environmental sustainability economic sustainability, and social sustainability. So you can, you can apply that concept to an entire industry, but I think it drills down to the individual operation. So let's, let's do that just kind of for a case study. Um, a ranch is not going to be successful if it's not environmentally sustainable, right? Um, environmental sustainability means healthy soil, healthy grass, clean water for your livestock and your family. Those are all necessary factors for an environmental for an environmentally sustainable operation. You're also going to have to be economically sustainable. If a farm isn't making money at the end of the year, then it's probably not going to be economically sustainable. And you also have to be socially sustainable. Farms have to be good neighbors, right? If, if your neighbors are constantly complaining about you, then you might not be in business for a long time. Um, so it's the combination of all three of those elements that truly make a sustainable operation. And then when an industry is sustained by sustainable operations, the industry is sustainable. Um, and I think that a lot of times sustainability becomes this exclusively environmental conversation, but we have to look broader than that. Environmental sustainability in a vacuum, right? Because if someone is regulated, you know, is subject to so many environmental regulations that they can no longer stay open, Yes, they may have been environmentally sustainable, but they weren't economically sustainable. And then kind of on the flip side, um, if, a, if a farm isn't resilient through drought or through a, a flood, then they're likely not environmentally sustainable. And so they could go out of business. I think it's, it's always important to consider that balance. And um, especially in Washington, D.C. right now, everyone wants to talk about environmental sustainability, but I think it's key to bring it back to the three-legged stool and the importance of maintaining a balance between environmental, economic, and social sustainability. That's a great point. And I think one of the things that we always have to consider too is this notion of obvious continual improvement. Uh, I always get nervous anytime a buzzword gets uh, assigned to an industry, a practice, because I never view sustainability as an endpoint. You don't just suddenly wake up one day and say, oh, my farm or my ranch is sustainable today. That isn't exactly how it works. But what kind of practice well what kind of way are we is a is the beef industry encouraging adoption of different practices i think that's an excellent point um you know there is no end point when you talk about sustainability right it's it's a constant process and you know if, if you have an operation every day when you wake up you need to make sure that you're doing what you can to be environmentally, economically, and socially sustainable. That's kind of the foundation of having an agricultural operation of, of managing a farm or a ranch. Um, so yeah, I think that, again, I know I've already mentioned this, 
but the availability of those voluntary incentive-based conservation programs is so important to ensuring environmental sustainability and continuous improvement, like you said. Um, you know, in DC, we work a lot with USDA and on the implementation of NRCS programs and the availability of FSA programs. But, you know, there are voluntary incentive-based conservation programs all over the country at the state level, um, privately managed conservation programs. Um, so I would encourage any farm to, you know, I think a good first step is always to, you know, make good friends with your local extension agent because they're always a great source of information and can point you in the right direction um, and have the latest research from land grant universities so that you can continue to improve your operation. Now, cattlemen were the original stewards of the land. Uh, we could make the argument that they were sustainable before sustainability, quote unquote, was a thing. How does the industry really get credit for this history of sustainability and how are beef producers encouraged to do more when they've already done so much? I think it kind of goes back to your previous question, right? So, you know, like I said earlier, when I look at a ranch and it's been in operation for six or seven generations, that's sustainable. And you're absolutely right. There were buffalo roaming this country and you know ruminants grazing this landmass before we were the United States of America and cattle producers in the United States have done an excellent job of continuing that tradition of you know well-managed ruminant grazing that provides an environmental and economic benefit. Um, I, I think that like you said though there's always room for continuous improvement and as we get new research on the effects of you know managed grazing or when we learn about a new technology that will help our you know feeding segment become even more efficient and reduce primary and secondary climate impacts um, those are practices that should be considered and those are practices that you know if you're a if you're a feed yard owner and you've you've never used a feed additive to increase the efficiency of the cattle that you have, um, then you know maybe maybe consider what what it could do both for your bottom line and your environmental impact. I think you know it's up to each operation to kind of do that balancing test and, and ask the question internally of you know are we sustainable and, and is there a way we can become more sustainable. And lastly, I want to wrap up talking a little bit about retail brands. So what are retail brands doing to achieve a balance between meeting consumer demands and supporting, or in some cases, defending universally approved management practices that happen on the ranch or feedlot? I think as we see um, increased interest from consumers in where their food comes from or how environmentally sustainable their food is, certainly the companies that, that sell those products that you know sell the burger or sell the ground beef are also going to become more interested on behalf of their consumers. Um, I think the biggest thing that we can do as the industry or, you know, kind of earlier segments in the industry, because we all are kind of a part of this beef value chain and beef supply chain, um, is education, both practically and when it comes to policy development. So in DC, you know, we work pretty closely with groups, with retail groups and uh, processing groups to make sure that they are aware of 
the tools that are available to producers, um, how those tools are utilized, and what changes could be made in policy development, either through the farm bill or infrastructure packages, to ensure that our farmers have every possible tool that they could use in the toolbox to maximize their efficiency and maximize their environmental sustainability. And you know, it, as NCBA, you know, we we can get to a certain point when we lobby an issue, but bringing in companies can can often help kind of push and ask over the line. So um, they're always helpful in that regard in Washington, D.C. But, you know, practically, I think, you know, if, if you're a farmer and you have a connection in the retail sector that maybe doesn't know a lot about the beef industry, bring them out to your operation and show them around. Um, I think tours open open eyes and open minds you know it's it's the best way to start a discussion whether it be between a regulator and someone who's regulated um, or between different segments of the same supply chain that's a great point mary thomas uh, i think that our legislators don't always hear a lot from farmers and ranchers and that's a challenge for everyone listening that make sure that your uh, government officials utilize you as a resource so that when things come across their desk that have to do with your beef operation they know exactly who they want to call absolutely and you know we we do a lot of work in washington dc but the work that we do here is only multiplied and you know our efforts are multiplied when producers who are on the ground and who are constituents of our representatives in congress um, make contact and ask for something or talk about their operation or um, do any anything to educate a member of congress on their operation and their industry um, because i think it, it adds a really important personal touch and where can people go to keep up with what you're doing at NCBA? NCBA.org will have all of our information and, and it's pretty frequently updated. Um, if you're on Twitter, feel free to follow us at Beltway Beef um, and Beef USA on Instagram. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Mary Thomas. I appreciate it. This wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on the various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. And be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Kim Bremer. And from everyone at Bova News, have a great day.